You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. I just feel Lord, the Lord wants to really speak something to some of you today uh, that uh, will, will change the trajectory of your, your, your life and your walk with Him. So pray with me. Father, would you just help me today to unburden myself from this in a way that is transformational for your people? Beyond the notes, beyond the studies, beyond all the preparation, Lord, that you would make this a prophetic moment for all your people here and maybe those who are still on the sidelines wondering about the Christian faith or maybe grew up in religion and really they've been sitting here for years and still haven't figured it out, haven't realized that what you want, that the relationship, the depth of relationship you want with them will define their purpose from here on out. And I pray that they would get that today. So thank you, Lord for this moment, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for that. Yesterday, my son, um, he plays tennis, and he, he texted me for the first time on his old iPhone 4S cell phone that I unlocked and uh, put a new SIM card in. And he texted me this picture. Now, some of you who don't play tennis <clears throat> won't recognize this name. But uh, he texted me this picture of a selfie, and behind the fence was this girl, this older, uh, you know, she was a young woman, and, uh, and he's like, Dad, check it out. I'm like, who's that, you know? And he goes, that's Maria Sharapova. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not. She looks like a little kid, and she's like, no, it's her. She goes, no, no makeup or anything like that, whatever. But I'm like, oh yeah, it is Maria Sharapova. Maria Sharapova showed up at Manhattan Beach, the tennis club where they were having a little tournament yesterday, and she, you know, she started practicing. I'm like, oh, that was really cool of her to visit with you guys like that. And she was really cool with kids, and it's, it was fun. And my son, who won his tournament, by the way, awesome, um, beat the guy 6-1, and, um, and his doubles match 6-1 as well. But he had that little extra, you know, uh, moment of inspiration because of an unexpected visitation by Maria Sharapova, who encouraged the kids. We want to talk about, over the next couple of weeks, going into Christmas, holy visitations. This is the season of Advent, and Advent, the word actually means arrival. Say arrival. All of Christendom, all the churches in the worlds that are, that are christ following, celebrate the, the first arrival of Jesus at his birth in Bethlehem, but, but some people don't talk about this part. They also celebrate the second arrival of Jesus that has not happened yet. And Advent, the spirit of Advent needs to be, we are living in between arrivals. Uh, we're living with an expectation with a hope, because Jesus has come once, but we also know he will come again and set everything right that was wrong. And the in, in the in-between times we live and we get to taste of the blessings of that soon arriving kingdom. That is sooner than we all think. Some people think it's in our lifetime. Some people maybe in our children's lifetime. Kids, you know Jesus is coming again? He's not just a baby in a manger, right? He's like 
God on his heavenly throne, and he gets to live in our hearts by his Holy Spirit, and he's coming again someday. So get ready. Tell him, tell him one next to you. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Yeah. Because that's, that's the spirit of Christmas. We're waiting expectantly. And the waiting is not just a passive waiting, like sitting on the couch watching the latest Netflix miniseries, like most of you do. Right? <laughs> um, it's, it's a waiting of preparation. And so what I want to show you this morning, because Advent begins with a very, very strange and a, a very long silence. What I want to show you this morning in our exploration of this particular visitation that happens in the Christmas story, the visitation of the angel Gabriel to a man named Zechariah, We're going to learn that even in the midst of silence, God is doing his most profound work. Even in the midst of silence, God is at work and he's doing something that often we're not aware of until we become aware of it. Now, in general, we don't like silence. Like, have you ever been in that small group or maybe when you first started a small group and you asked the question, okay, who wants to pray? Right? Silence becomes awkward right? Or I'll do this sometimes, and sometimes I regret doing it. As we're gathered to pray at the end, I'll say something like, okay, one or two of you, please pray out, right? And then the silence, a whole minute goes by, nobody's praying, right? Awkward silence. Or how many of you have experienced or been the delivery system for the silent treatment? We know, all, we know about the silent treatment, right? It's like that husband and wife, you know, they were giving each other the silent treatment. And so, you know, the husband decided he was just really ticked off at her. So I'm going to give her the silent treatment. And she said the same thing in her own mind and heart. So he said, then he remembered like, oh, I got to wake up tomorrow morning at five o'clock so I don't miss my flight. So he wrote a note to his wife and said, please wake me up at 5 a.m. so I don't miss my flight. And he put it on her bed, on her side of the bed. Right? And she wakes up early, whatnot. He gets up the next morning, it's 9 a.m., missed his flight, everything. And right before he's about to run downstairs and give his wife, you know, a piece of his mind, he sees that on his side of the bed, there's a note. And the note says, it's 5 a.m., please wake up. <laughs> it's called the silent treatment. If you haven't learned it, it might be a good tool to put in your back pocket, husbands and wives, just kidding. <laughs> But it's interesting because Advent, the season of Advent, begins with great silence. You see, about four centuries before the birth of Jesus, an Old Testament prophet, the only Italian prophet in the Bible named Malachi, Malachi, that joke was funnier in my head when I said it, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament and he's the last of the Old Testament prophets and the last verse in his book says this, see, I will send you a, the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's the end of the Old Testament right after that. Like, okay, kind of cryptic, kind of confusing, kind of what, Elijah? You know, After that verse is written, for 400 years, there is no more prophetic presence in all of Israel. 
there are no fresh revelations of the word of God, of the law of God in Israel. For 400 years, it seems that God goes silent. This is the last thing that a good Jewish kid would hear from the Old Testament law, that Elijah is coming back someday. And there were actually people in Jesus' day that believed that there was gonna be a resurrection of Elijah. That's why when Jesus was doing his ministry, he said, who do people say I am? And some say Elijah, right? Some say like an Old Testament prophet. So there's this rumor going around because of this verse. Because right after this verse, nothing but silence. And what I mean by that is, see, they still had the Old Testament law. They still had the Torah. They still had the prophetic writings, right, in, in their possession. But there was no fresh word from God. How many of you know that sometimes you need a fresh word from God? You don't need to just read it on a page. You need God to speak it so that it leaps from the page into your soul and brings life to your situation. There was no fresh word from God for four, 400 years. In fact, the way this text reads, it's almost as if Malachi leaves us hanging because it's confusing. What does that mean? He's going to strike the land with a curse, turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, all of this stuff on the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Whoa, is that coming soon? He doesn't explain. He leaves them hanging. Ever been left hanging or ever felt like you've been left hanging? You know, all you ladies in the room, single ladies, who wish he would just get on with it and propose to you already? <laughs> hanging. All of you girls who wish he would make it Facebook official, but he won't. Hanging. Kids are gonna ask your parents about that later on, so good luck. <laughs> all you kids who were ever told by your parents, you asked your parents a question, right? And they said, um, someday you'll understand. Right? I know, right, kids? Yeah. These kids are like seven years old going on 18, man. <laughs> left hanging. We, we don't like to be left hanging. And silence sometimes has a way of doing that. No more fresh revelation, 400 years. Let me ask you something. Some of you have been waiting on God's promise to be fulfilled, something of God's promise to be fulfilled in your life. How long have you been waiting? A year, two, three, four, five, six, 20? It seems like God's been silent, Pastor. Try 400 years. Put it in perspective. That's a long time. And, and all Israel has during this waiting period is they have the law of Moses. So, so for all of you who are interested in this stuff, this is why the law becomes so prominent by the time Jesus shows up. The temple's gone. The, they've, they've created synagogues, like small local churches, where they, what, they do, what do they do in the synagogue? They read the law. This is why things get so legalistic by the time Jesus shows up, because all they have is the law, but no revelation. And you can live your Christian life like that. You can stay steeped in religion if all you have is the law. Do this, don't do that. But no relationship, because it's in relationship that you get revelation. Come on, all you married couples in the room. 
There's stuff you didn't know about your wife until you were in a committed relationship with her. And so all Israel has is the law. And because all they have is the law, all they can, the best they can do is be the is be the most legalistic version of themselves as possible. That's what happens when there's no relationship and when there's no revelation. All you have is religion. And some of you have been living in it for years and you don't know it. Yeah, you come to church. Yeah, you go to life group. Yeah, you participate. Yeah, you pray the prayers. Yeah, you even come forward when the pastor calls you to come forward. And you even give to the church. But there's no real relationship because you haven't given God all of your life. You haven't given God your true self. You've given him an image of yourself. You've given him the version of yourself that you want everyone to like, but you haven't given him the real you. That's the difference between religion and relationship. When you begin to expose and make yourself vulnerable to God in that way, See, this is Christmas, man. This is what the visitations are all about. The angel comes to Gabriel. I'm uh, sorry, the G- Gabriel, the angel comes to Mary. He comes to Elizabeth. He comes to Zechariah. He comes to Joseph. And he's asking them, will you open yourself up to what God wants to do? It's not, I want to use you. It's, I want relationship with you because what I'm about to do in you is more than just solve your problem. I'm about to birth something in you, and birthing requires intimacy. I want to know you closer than you ever thought. All right, so what do we do? What do we do when it seems like God has fallen silent and we've been waiting, waiting, waiting for the answer and it doesn't seem to be coming anytime soon? Let me put three things in your back pocket this morning that might help you. First thing you want to do is say interpret. Interpret God's silence correctly. Many of us misinterpret the silence of God. It's like, uh, yeah, it's funny how we use husband, because this applies so much to marriage. <laughs> when you have an, an argument with your husband, and for the wife, like, the, the, let's say a couple doesn't speak to each other for five days, right? The wife is thinking, man, something's totally wrong. But what's the husband thinking? There's nothing wrong. Things are good. Because my wife ain't speaking to me, right? (laughs) Misinterpreting silence. (laughs) Listen, just because God is silent doesn't mean your faith isn't working. Just because God is silent doesn't mean your faith isn't working. Sometimes God is trying to do something in you before he does something for you. God, please do this. Please show up in this way. Answer this cry of my heart. God, I need a lifetime partner soon. I need that immigration status to get changed soon. I need something because my child is losing his way soon. And and when it's met with silence, Sometimes we want God to do something for us, and then he starts by answering that prayer by doing something in us first. And then we complain, and we go, God, why why aren't you showing up? No, he's he's there, but the work he's doing is much deeper than you think. Don't misinterpret the silence 
of God because in times of silence, God is doing his most, watch this, he's doing his most profound work of preparation. Because the fulfillment of God's promises always carries with it a preparation time. There's a time for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Look at this verse. This is Paul the Apostle's version of the Christmas story. He says, but when the set time, say set time. Okay, we're gonna come back to that in a second. When the set time had fully come, right? not partially, but fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under the law because that's all they had up till Jesus came was the law. And all they could do, the best efforts they could muster up led them into legalism. He said, he came to redeem those under the law so that we might receive our adoption into sonship. That's relationship. But he says, look, there's a time for God to do that. That the word here, time, is the word kairos. It's, it's one of the Greek words for time that's used in the New Testament. And it's not time like, how many of you take the bus, right? It's not how many of you set an alarm clock in the morning, right? It's not that kind of time. It's not chronological time that goes in linear sequence. It's not MTA time. It's not Facebook time, right? It's a different kind of time. Kairos means a time that is pregnant with meaning and purpose and potential and opportunity. It's time (laughs) it's this kind of time when your pregnant spouse says honey it's time what do you do when you hear that you don't look at your watch right because she's not talking about that kind of time she's talking about the opportunity is now get me to the hospital and we go Kairos time. Every promise of God has a kairos time attached to it. How long have you been waiting? How long have you been waiting for that promise to be fulfilled? How long have you been waiting to get your big break? How long have you been waiting to fulfill your dreams? God says, you can go ahead and try to fulfill your dreams your way, but if you're going to do it my way, there's a time for that. And that time, kairos time, includes the preparation. So don't misinterpret God's silence as God has abandoned me, God doesn't care about me, as God must be, you know, he must have other priorities. How can he listen to billions and billions of prayers and sort it all out and I don't know, he's God. Or sometimes you interpret God's silence as rejection or as, for some of us guys, you're on your own, figure it out. Don't misinterpret the silence of God. The silence of God, in this case, in Zechariah's case, which we're going to look at in a second, was about pre- preparation. It was about preparation. Okay, so let's dive into this. God breaks the silence of 400 years by sending the angel Gabriel to a man named Zechariah. It says, in the time of Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth, say Liz, and say Zech, Liz and Zech, Zech and Liz. 
living in Judea. He was a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God. They were observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. You know what that means? It means they were really good law-abiding citizens who obeyed the law of God because that's all they had. No revelation, just the law. And so they're good people, but watch. Even though they were blameless, even though they were good people, they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Now we have to guess at it. Let's just say they were 60, maybe 70 years old. Now watch this. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense, basically to worship God in the temple. And when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Basically, what you need to know about this is that there's a bunch of priests in Israel, they all are on a big rotation. They all get to, at some point in their life, serve and burn incense, which is an act of worship, in the temple, like in the, in the very like, holy place before the Ark of the Covenant, which we're not sure if even the Ark is there. But So Zechariah has this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be in the temple of God, serving in the very presence of God, and watch what happens. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. So we know he's been praying. What has he been praying? It says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. Who's this John? Yeah, John the Pentecostal, because he acts more Pentecostal than he does Baptist. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. John the Baptizer. That's him. He hasn't been born yet. But this is how it happens. He says, about this baby, John, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now watch. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. Now watch. In the spirit and the power of who? Wait a second. Where have I heard that before? Oh, that was the last verse of the Old Testament, the one that my Malachi left us hanging on. 400 years later, the angel Gabriel shows up and says, let me pick up where Malachi left off and interpret what he was saying. And he says, he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And why? Why, why, why? Why is he doing that? Because it's all about, say the word with me, preparation to prepare a way for the Messiah. The 400 years of silence, however long it is you've been waiting, folks, to see the promise of God fulfilled, it's about preparation, which is why one of the things you can do when it seems like God falls silent is not only to interpret that silence correctly, but to increase the level of your participation in the process of preparation. Because most of us don't do this because, look, we don't see it as preparation in the first place. I'm just here at my work. I know there's kingdom work to be done, but I'm here every single day. I got to get up, got to take a shower, got to brush my teeth, got to get ready for it, get the kids ready for work, drive off, and then sit at a desk for eight hours 
Maybe, you know, in the middle of it, I can, you know, watch a little bit of, uh, you know, do a little Facebooking on the side. And then go home. And then repeat that all over and over again. God, when is my big break going to come? Listen, if you reinterpret that and you say, God, thank you for this opportunity of preparation for the thing you want to bring into my life that you want to get me ready for, do you see what I'm saying? Well, some of the things you're asking God for, you are not ready to handle because your character isn't prepared. And you know how God prepares character? Right there in the middle of that office when your patience is getting tried by a coworker or a, a crazy neurotic customer calling on the phone. Right there in that nursing department where your boss is telling you gotta do all these things before you go home and you know you're gonna go home late. God is preparing us. You just have to reinterpret it as such. And when you do, then you can increase your level of participation in that preparation. Come on. Because some of you, hard stuff happens, you step out and you start doing things for God and you go, oh God, let me do this, let me do that, let me lead this life group, let me do that ministry. And all of a sudden you, you hit difficult times, you hit relational conflicts, you hit things that don't go your way and then you go, oh man, it must be, forget it, I'm, going, I'm leaving this church. I'm gonna go to that church over there because it looks sexier. They got lights that are better than this one. They got music that's better than what I got over there. And the people, they're much nicer. Well, of course the people are much nicer because they don't know you yet. <laughs> Come on. You know I'm telling the truth. The minute you go there, it's a different story. You know, I love you, right? Because some of you want to leave, but when you leave, the issues that God was trying to deal with you in that situation are just going to follow you to the next place. I'm preaching now. <laughs> and if you, you can deal with it now or you can deal with it later. God is so good and loving, he won't let you get away from dealing with the issue. It's preparation, man, because your character, most of us can't handle what God wants to give us. When God looked down, okay, let's get to a different perspective. God looked down across human history, the timeline from the beginning of his creation to now where things are at in human history. He sees little Israel there silent for 400 years, no revelation, just the law. He looks down at the world scene and he sees all these nations like Greece and Persia and Babylon vying for power in the world, right? Trying to be the empire. And now finally Rome comes, right? Roman empire. And he's like, it's not, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Finally, Rome. Finally, this Caesar. Finally, first century. And then he goes, it's time. And you, if you're not actively participating in the preparation process, you might miss the Kairos moment. I think that's what I, some of you need to hear. Because God's fallen silent, things have turned the other direction, aren't going your way, and you're saying to yourself, okay, that means I'm just backing out. Forget it, forget these people, forget this ministry, forget this church, forget that situation. I'm just gonna go do what I was doing. 
fine, go right ahead. But you, if you don't act, if you don't, in, what you need to do is increase your level of participation in the preparation process. And the preparation process is, sometimes it's the people God's put around you. Sometimes it's your spouse, your rebellious teenager. Come on. And if you don't see it as preparation, man, you might miss what God is trying to prepare you to become so you can handle what he wants to give you to fulfill your destiny. Listen, gifts are great, man. Some of you are really talented people in what you do, but talent alone will not sustain a destiny. Talent plus character will. You could tweet that one. In fact, take a moment. Go ahead, tweet it. That just, that just came to me. <laughs> Told you it was going to be good. Tell someone next to you, this is good, man. Soak it up. Oh, man. All right, lastly. So if you're going to increase your activity level in the preparation process, the real practical thing to do is to not back away, but do what Psalm 37.3 says. Trust in the Lord and what? Don't do bad, okay? Don't get on Facebook and Twitter and start complaining anonymously, if you can even do that, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. Stick it out. Stay in the game. Stay in the game, even though you might feel injured, because if you got injured in the game, that means God's probably teaching you something about how to forgive. Come on now. How to handle conflict in a healthy, loving way. He's teaching you stuff, man. It's going to take you places. Trust in the Lord and do good. Because listen, like I said earlier, he's not just trying to solve your problem, folks. He's trying to birth something in you of his purposes. That's what Christmas is all about. It begins with Gabriel coming to Zechariah going, Zach, I've heard your prayer. You think, okay, think about this with me. He's 60 years old. Let's just say that's a conservative estimate. He's beyond childbearing age and so is his wife. Do you think Zechariah has been praying for a child? More likely, no. What do you think he's been praying for as a man who's been devoted to the law, reading all the prophecies in the Old Testament? Right? What do you think he's looking for? God, when is your promised Messiah going to come? The angel Gabe comes and says, I've heard your prayer. And this thing, my answer to your prayer, Zechariah, is not gonna come in a formula. It's not gonna come in a nice packaged sermon with three points, what to do when you leave this place. It's going to be, say the word with me, birthed. Your wife is gonna get pregnant. You know? And Zechariah got happy all of a sudden. How is this gonna happen? Well, Zach, I'm not exactly gonna perform a virgin birth on this one. It's going to require your active participation. <laughs> so Zach goes home. Well, what happens here? So Zach goes, are you sure? Sure about this? And Gabriel, maybe Gabriel was having a bad day, and he says, Zach, 
dude, I just came from the presence of Yahweh. I stand in his presence and listen to him give me messages. And you're going to question my word today? This is not a good day for me, Zach. You're going to be silent now because of your, okay, now, so here's the, here's the question. Is, you know, Zechariah is then told he's going to be silent. He won't be able to speak. Like, I'm like, whoa, that's not, that's not encouraging for me because I would question the angel too. I'm 65 years old. And my wife, you're telling me my wife's going to have a baby? Whoa, are you sure about that? And all of a sudden, silent, like you're going to curse me with silence. What? That sounds unfair. What if the silence that the angel said Zechariah is going to go through is not about punishment? What if that silence is about that word again? Preparation. Zach, I'm doing you a favor. I'm going to give you the gift of silence because I want your heart to be prepared for the birth of this baby. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to do something too. Go home to your wife and say, honey, let's go to the beach. <laughs> Active participation in the process of the preparation. Come on now. Man, I'm preaching it today. God's, God's doing something. So lastly, anything God is birthing, any kind of birthing starts with Intimacy doesn't it? So when God falls silent, or when you think he's silent, another thing you can do is instead of um, investing your time in watching the latest Netflix series, invest your time, or I'll say it this way, be practical, invest some time in building intimacy with God. How's that work? My Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's intimacy. You know what intimacy is? Into me, see. Into me, see. This is not coming into the presence of God, telling God everything he already knows. This is God, show me what I don't know. Look into my heart. Search me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Intimacy. And God, open up your heart wide so I can see your heart for the situation that I'm in. Because when you see it, your perspective will change. And you won't interpret his silence as abandonment. You won't be confused by the silence. You'll realize God's here. He's preparing me. And I need to invest some time in building intimacy with him. Guys don't like the word intimacy. I get it. So in your mind, guys, replace it with the word friendship. Did it, did it work? Okay. When you do, when you interpret correctly the silence of God, when you Increase your level of participation in the process of him preparing you. And when you invest time in building intimacy with God. Listen, when Zechariah went home that day, he couldn't speak. He couldn't speak for nine months, folks. What do you think he would be doing that nine months? Then he finds out his wife's pregnant. Oh, he can't say a thing. 
You know, some of you wives would love a husband like that, right? Zechariah, I would love to think, and I'm speculating, that because he's a priest, what he's doing during those nine months where he cannot speak and where he's being silent is he's going back to the scrolls. He's opening up the Torah. He's opening up the written record of the prophets and he's looking and he's, and he's seeking God. He's going, God, what is it that you're doing here? I see it. Look at these prophecies in Isaiah. This is what's happening. And he's getting full. For nine months, he's pouring in into spiritual growth, okay? Nine months. He can't speak a word. And then what happens? He's investing. He's increasing his involvement in the participation process. He's building intimacy with God. And nine months come, the baby is born, and they're all like, okay, what should we name the baby? Usually we name it a junior. So let's call him Zechariah. And Zechariah goes, no, 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 no. I've been reading, in his mind he's going, I've been reading up on this stuff. I've been pouring for nine months over the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. I get it. I know what's happening. God is fulfilled. It's time. And my son, no, 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 his name's not going to be Zechariah. His name's going to be John. And the minute he says it, boom, the minute he writes it, his mouth is opened. And what does he do? Watch this. He takes the beginning of the answer of God's promise in his arms. Before, for 400 years and even more, the promise was just out there as an expectancy, as a hope of God's Messiah coming. And now Zechariah holds the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise in his arms arms as a newborn baby named John. It's the beginning. It's the preparation for the Messiah. I'm not just talking about it. I'm not just praying about it anymore. It's here. The fulfillment has come. Some of you need to hear this word. However long you've been waiting it, waiting for it, the promise of God over your life has a time. And when the time comes for that promise to be fulfilled, your life will move from one dimension of faith to a higher dimension of faith. You know why? Because in this dimension of faith, you were praying for it, you were seeking it, you were expecting it, you were struggling over it. But now, the baby is here, and life is just different. Because how many of you know when a baby's born, life changes for everybody? Not always in good ways, but most of the time in good ways, yeah. And you're in a new dimension of faith because now you're holding the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Yes. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you move to a new dimension of faith. So listen, let me leave it with you. How long have you been waiting? Maybe you backed out because... You thought, I can't take all this. I can't take all this conflict. I can't take all these immaturity around me. I'm just going to back out. Forget this. Don't do that. Stay engaged. Actively participate. Because it's preparation. It's preparation. Tell the person next to you, it's preparation. It's preparation. Amen, kids. Amen. Yeah, see, these kids are more enthusiastic than you, and they've been listening to me. 
for almost half an hour or 40 minutes now. Good job. High five each other and go, good job, guys. Hey, listen. So don't misinterpret God's silence. He's preparing you. Increase your level of activity in the preparation process and invest time building friendship with God. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.